Now I invite you to turn with me to our Bible reading for this morning, which comes from John 18, verses 12 through 38. John 18, verses 12 through 38. What we have been doing is uh, looking at the various aspects of Christ's suffering. Last week, we considered his arrest, who planned his arrest, and we know that uh, God himself planned his arrest for our sakes. Today, we look at his trial, and Lord willing, the, uh, next week, Sunday, we plan to look at his sentence to death, and then his crucifixion on Good Friday. But we we hear God's words this morning from John 18, verses 12 through 38. And our focus this morning is verses 28 to 38. So that's where I invite you to keep your Bibles open to once we hear God's word. Beginning at verse 12 of John 18. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who made a, a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Then the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where the Jews always meet. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like this? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Didn't I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. And these are the words of our text this morning. This is our focus, beginning at verse 28, Jesus' trial before Pilate. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, 
but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him, you judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I shall bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So that's our focus this morning. Verses 28 to 38 of John chapter 18. John 18, 28 to 38. Okay, beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we we need a king, a true king, don't we? But we have one. Who is he? The Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you look at our world, it's so broken. But there's only one place for our world to go, and that's to him, because he's the one who reconciles us to God. You see that our world today, it's in turmoil. Nations are on the brink of economic collapse. The leaders of nations are at a loss of answers in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. And fear, through it seems to be even the bigger issue in all of this. But this all reflects a bigger problem in our world. The brokenness we see all around us and in our lives is because of sin. And we need a king. We need a king who is strong enough to conquer sin. Who's strong enough to have power over death itself. We need a king who can carry our burdens and carry our sins and take care of it all so that we are set free from guilt and shame. We need a king who can make us right in our relationship with the Lord and experience his blessing in our lives. 
We need a king to rule over our hearts and lives that comes by repenting of our sins and trusting in him. Well, this morning, God presents to you the king we need. That's the king on trial that you see here, on trial for your sakes. And on the surface, as you read John chapter 18, it seems as if the Lord Jesus is a helpless victim. He's been arrested. He's been bound in chains. He's been led away. And you read John 18, you get the sense that he's just dragged from one place to the next, from one person to another. First, he goes to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Then he goes to Caiaphas, who's actually the high priest. And you read about all the things they've done to Jesus in Matthew 26, verses 57 to 67. And then later he's brought back to Pilate, a Roman governor. You know, from the moment of Christ's arrest, the Lord Jesus is simply hauled around. He's trifled with. People make light of him. They're spitting in his face. They're mocking him. They're striking him. They're beating him. Lord, I mean, this Lord, the king, is our mediator. And you see what he does for our sakes. The perfect, righteous king willingly takes upon himself the suffering. He suffers for our guilt. And he suffers the curse that we ourselves deserve. He, you see him here, the Son of God, bound so that we might be set free from our sins. In John's Gospel, what do we see? We see our King working out God's plan for your salvation, for the salvation of the world. And so what we see this morning from John 18, verses 28 to 38, we see the suffering king. He directs his own trial before Pilate. You see that in three ways in the passage. It's so beautiful to see. Even then, he is in total control of his trial. First of all, we're going to see he directs the timing. He directs the timing of his death. And that's the Passover, verse 28. Second of all, we see he directs the way of his death. And that's the cross, verse 29 to 32. And then we see that he directs the goal of his death. And that's his coronation, or you could say his crowning as king. So first of all, he directs the timing, verse 28. He directs the way, verse 30, 29 to 32. And then he directs the goal. So first of all, then we see he directs the timing of his death. He's the one that's in charge of it. You notice that it occurs at the time of the Passover. Let's just get a little bit of the context here. If you look at verse 28, how it begins. Then they, that is the Jews, those who were there at the trial with Caiaphas, they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. Now, what was the Praetorium? The Praetorium was the, you could say, the home or the residence of Pilate, who was the governor over them. He was a Roman governor. Caiaphas, the high priest of the Jews, and the council, his council, the Sanhedrin, they placed Jesus on trial. 
They had just reached the sentence. They just reached the verdict. And what was the verdict? Death. This man is deserving of death. The grounds? There were many grounds, but one of those grounds that we're going to hear later, next week, Lord willing, is that Jesus made himself to be the Son of God. That was their charge. Of course, we know it's true that he is the Son of God. But they hated him for him saying that. And it's true, the Jews, they did have the right to sentence one to death, according to their own laws. But they did not have the right to carry it out. The Romans must make that decision because the Jews were ruled by the Romans. This is why they now lead Jesus to Pilate's residence, the Roman governor for that region. They want Pilate now to rubber stamp their decision to put Jesus to death. What day is it? It's Friday. It's early morning Friday. And notice the timing, the timing of Jesus' official trial before the governor of the district. It was a feast day. That's what verse 28 says. It was the feast day of the Passover, the day when the Passover lambs were to be slaughtered or to be killed and eaten. You see the blood spilling all over. Just a few words about the Passover. Remember, it was a yearly festival. It was a festival they celebrated every year. And it was celebrated because they celebrated the time when, when during the 10th plague in Egypt, what did the angel do? The angel came and passed over, that's where the term Passover comes from, passed over those homes of their Israelites, which had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And those Israelites were spared from death. When the Jews brought Jesus bound to Pilate's residence, that's, they refused to go in. They refused to go into his residence. As a matter of fact, they forced Pilate to come out of his residence to hear their complaint and then to take Jesus into his residence. Why did they do that? Why did they not want to enter into Pilate's residence? Well, there's one simple reason. If they entered, they would become unclean. After all, Pilate was a Gentile. And if they were unclean, they would not be allowed to eat the Passover. The Passover meal. But notice the irony here. The Jews are worried about becoming unclean in order to keep this festival. But who does this, who does, what does this festival point to? This festival pointed to the true Passover lamb, Jesus. They say, the Jews say, he's deserving of death. But it is the death of this true Passover lamb, Jesus, that the Jews are bringing about. You see here, the king on, the king on trial directs his timing Perfectly, the timing for his death. Jesus fulfills the Passover lamb. He is the lamb. Remember the words of John the Baptist that he had spoken much earlier in John 1, verse 29? He was pointing the disciples towards Jesus. 
And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now the Lamb arrives at the doorsteps of Pilate's residence, bound, ready for the slaughter, ready to have his blood shed. And the Jews are so unaware. They are so unaware that they are fulfilling God's plan to the exact hour at the time of the Passover feast. You see here, the king who is on trial, he's directing the timing perfectly so that he can show himself to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He offers himself for the sins of his people when? During the Passover feast, which points to him. You know, he offers the cleansing that you and I need. The cleansing through his blood offered to sinners. That's us. You know, all mankind is infected with a most awful, unclean virus. That unclean virus is sin. It affects all mankind. We're born in it. And there's no way that it can be removed for us unless it comes through this king. There's only one cure. One cure. And that is the slaughter of the Lamb of God. The death of Jesus. So that you don't have to die eternally in your sins. But that you may live forever. Sin needs to be paid for through the Lamb of God. You know, really, John's whole purpose of the gospel is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's why he writes this, that you may believe this. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Indeed, Christ, our Passover Lamb, was sacrificed for us. Notice, the king on trial directs his timing <clears throat> of his death. It's the Passover, verse 28. So clear. But the king on trial also directs the way of his death. What's the way of his death? The cross. So you see the death of the lamb, but the cross is related to the curse. Death, but also him taking the curse. You see that in verses 29 to 32. Pilate, the Roman governor, he now comes outside because the Jews won't go in, and he takes in Jesus to his residence. And Pilate just asks, him direct, asks, asks Jesus directly, what accusation do you ask? He asks the Jews directly, what accusation do you bring against this man? What charges? It's a fair question. Pilate wants to get to the point. And yet you hear this impatient, you hear this snarky, rude response from the Jews. All they say is, he, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. In other words, Pilate, just trust us. Believe us. Just say that he's an evildoer. Well, Pilate doesn't have any clue what they're talking about. What did they sentence him to? What are, what's, what's his charges? Pilate sees Jesus, and he's thinking, it's probably some small matter. 
Why are they bothering Pilate with all of this? That's why Pilate finally blurts out in verse 31. You take him then, he said to the Jews. You take him. You judge him. And you judge him according to your law. In other words, you look after him yourselves. You look after the matter yourselves. But they refute Pilate. And they talk back. And they answer. And they say, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Well, Pilate finally realizes that they've already sentenced him to death. And now they want him to just rubber stamp it. Again, under Roman law, the Jews, they could pronounce a death sentence on a criminal, but they were not allowed to put anyone to death. They were not allowed to execute the order. And the Roman governor made the decision in that matter. In the case of the martyr Stephen, you notice that the Jews, they took the law into their own hands without seeking the permission of the governor. And what do they do? They stoned him. Read that about that. You read about that in Acts 7. That was the Jewish way. The Jewish way of putting people to death was by stoning, most often by stoning, with stones. They would pelt the criminal with big stones and kill them that way. But notice here, our suffering king, the king on trial, he directs the way in which he will die. He directs the way of his death, not by stoning, but by being crucified on the cross. That was the Roman way. That was not the Jewish way. The Roman way was crucifixion. You see verse 32? Look at verse 32 of John 18. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Well, what did Jesus say? Well, we go back earlier to the Gospel of John. And if you turn with me to John 3, verse 14, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, he says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. Later, in John 12, 32-33, here is a direct reference. Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying the kind of death he would die. And now John, in chapter 18, verse 32, refers to that passage that he said, signifying the kind of death he would die. The cross. This was God's sovereign plan to put his son to death in this way for your sin, for my sin, that he might bear the curse in our place. Two things here briefly. First, you might think, well, does it matter? Does it matter really which way Christ died? I mean, just as long as he died for our sins, right? I understand that argument. I understand that question. But you know what? Jesus' death for our sins had to be, had to be by way of death on the cross. There was no other legitimate way for him to die for our sins, but by the way of the cross, right? That was the only way that God in his plan, made it. 
You know, why so? If you look at our Heidelberg Catechism, question answer 39, really, it, it, it's so clear in the answer to the question, why the cross? And it points to, it cites Galatians 3, 10 through 13. It says there, by this death, I am convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. Let me say that again. But this, by this death, by the death of the cross, I am convinced, it's, it's for my sake, I am convinced, I am persuaded that he shouldered, he took, he took upon himself the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. You see the connection? Cross, curse. He not only died, he took the curse that I deserve and he took it upon himself. Beloved, there is no greater blessing than to know that one has removed the curse, God's curse on me, and placed it on his own son. There's no greater comfort. There's no greater love. There's no greater mercy. Christ directing the way of his death for me. He shouldered the curse that lay on me. He took it over. You know what that means, brothers and sisters? He shouldered the curse. He calls us to give over all our burdens, all our cares, all our sins, whatever those sins may be. No sin is too great because he took the curse upon himself. Receive him. He's, he's the only Savior, the legitimate Savior, the perfect Savior. That's the first thing. The second thing is his being lifted up. Notice the language. He's being lifted up on the cross. That points to a greater lifting up. What greater lifting up is that? It points to something more. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to be ascended to heaven. And he's going to be crowned as king. It points to that. This is the beginning stage, you could say. And he's going to be continually lifted up until he's seated on the throne in heaven. And that's what you see in verses 33 to 38, our final point. The king on trial, he's the one who directs the very goal of his trial and of his death. What is that? His coronation. His crowning glory. He's going to become the king over the whole world. This the Jews do not understand. This the world today does not understand. And this Pilate did not understand. The suffering king. Notice here, he's the king of kings. And he is on trial and he stands before a puny governor, Pilate. And he's there to call, he's there, Jesus is there to answer charges. And Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? That's the sense of which he would have said it. Are you the king of the Jews? I mean, there's a touch of mocking here, a touch of ridicule, as if snubbing those who brought the charges to him in the first place. He's thinking, those little Jews with their little issues, petty issues. I mean, after all, who were the Jews? 
What is Jesus' answer to his question? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers in this way, with a question. He says, it all depends. What do you mean by your question, Pilate? Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you concerning me? Verse 34. In other words, Pilate, if this is your own question, if this question comes from your own heart, and if I may put the true meaning into your question, then yes, I'm the king of the Jews. But if you're saying what other people are saying, if you're saying what those who brought me to you, if you're saying what they're saying, then the answer is no to your question. No, then I'm not the king of the Jews. Pilate, he doesn't, he doesn't get what Jesus is saying. He puts the topic aside and he wants to get to the point. He says, am I a Jew? He says, your people delivered you to me. What have you done? I mean, that's the, that's the issue for Pilate. He wants to know what crime Jesus has committed. In verses 36 and 37, Jesus, the king on trial, now answers the question of Pilate back in verse 33. Are you the king of the Jews? And he answers it in two ways. And that's where I'd like to conclude this morning. First of all, Jesus, first of all, says what kind of king he is not. What kind of king is he not? Verse 36. Look there for a minute. My kingdom, or you can say my kingship, says Jesus, is not of this world. My kingship is not from here. In other words, it's not a temporary kingdom. It's not limited by borders. He's the king from heaven. Jesus' kingship consists in what? In ruling over the hearts and lives of all those who trust and obey him. It's a spiritual kingship. Yes, he says, I am king of the Jews, that is, the Jews who believe on me. But it's far bigger, it's far more broad than that. It's worldwide. Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, Verse 36, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. You know, in those days, there would be many leaders of, of revolutionary movements, leaders that would have gain a following of people and try to revolt against authorities. And that's what they would do. They would bear up arms and they would fight in order to get their way and have their disciples fight for the leader. But Jesus, this is not Jesus. He didn't order his disciples to fight in his defense, did he? Think of what we heard last week about his arrest. He did the exact opposite. He offered himself. He directed his own arrest. He was fulfilling God's plan by giving himself over. Oh, yes, Peter, he took up a sword and he was going to fight for him. What did Jesus say? Peter, lay that sword down. I have to do what my Father in heaven has given me to do to suffer that bitter cup. Peter, put your sword in your sheath. That's Jesus. He did the exact opposite. Pilate finally asks, are you a king then? Jesus responds, you've said it. You rightly say that I am a king. 
in verse 37, see that? Verse 37, he now describes what kind of king he is. He's not the king of the world, not that kind of king, but now he describes what kind of king he is. And he says that he was born for this very purpose. That's why he came from heaven. That's why he came in the flesh. He was born for that very purpose, to be king. He was not born as others are born. For this purpose, he came into the world. That's what verse 37 says. In fact, he was born for the very purpose to become king overall. But that is by way, or that is through his death and resurrection from the dead. He needs to lay down his life by suffering for the sins and taking the full penalty for the sins of his people through his death and then rise again from the dead by conquering it and bringing his followers, all who believe in him, into the realm of his kingdom where he can reign over their hearts and lives and they can enjoy his blessed reign. You know, this is the truth he bears witness to. This is the truth. He's able to do for you what no king in the world is able to do. You believe that? He is able to reverse death. He's able to reverse the curse and bring into your life eternal life and blessing. You know, dear people of God, as we said earlier, those burdens, those sins, those things where you feel like your world is falling apart, you've made such a mess of your life, give it over to him. He so loved us that he suffered. He suffered the curse. He suffered death in order to make you whole, to bring you into a right relationship with God. You need to go to the king on trial. He's the suffering king on trial. He's the Passover lamb of God. He's the king on the cross. He destroyed death. He removed the curse for all who believe on him. He directs the trial so that he can be king over your life. Oh, we need to humble ourselves and acknowledge, first of all, that that is the big problem in our lives, is our pride, our sin. And we need to hand that over to him. He paid for it perfectly because he's the perfect sacrifice. You know, we live in a world gripped by sin and all the fear and anxiety that flows from it, a world of panic, a world in which has lost its sense of control. But Jesus is in control. Today, he is the risen Lord and Savior, seated at the right hand of God the Father. All things, all details are in his hands. Trust him. Now is the time to come to Christ in faith. The promise of forgiveness is for all who believe, the one who died, the one who took the curse for sinners. You know, even in the face of pestilences and plagues, Christ's promise remains firm. Death is destroyed. The curse is removed. A kingdom is gained. Those three things. That follows our three points, doesn't it? Death is destroyed. The curse is removed. A kingdom is gained. 
and nothing and no one can take that away from a believer. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Do you hear his voice? Hearing means not only just having one sound go in one part of the ear and then out the other. No, hearing means believing, trusting, following. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Notice everyone. It doesn't matter who it is. Anyone in the world, Jew or Gentile, do you hear him? He who is of the truth hears and follows him. If you don't follow him, if you don't hear him, that's not good news. He's the good news. The Bible says that Jesus witnessed the good confession before Pilate. You read that in the book of 1 Timothy 6 verse 13. He, Jesus, witnessed the good confession before Pilate. Pilate was not hearing his voice at all, was he? After all that Jesus had said and spoke, as he's speaking the truth, Pilate says, what is truth? He kind of just shrugged it off and says, whatever, whatever you're saying. But you know what? The truth was standing before him. Who was standing before him? The king on trial, Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He was standing before him. Pilate missed it. This proves that he was spiritually blind. Only God could open his eyes to see who the truth really is. Pilate didn't see it. He chose not to believe. Pilate bore witness to Christ's innocence. He sees that Christ is perfectly righteous. You hear that in his words in verse 38. I see no fault in him at all. But then why didn't Pilate release Jesus? Why didn't Pilate set him free? Well, he was scared to. He was being political. He was afraid of the Jews. And so what does he do? He sends him to Herod. And ultimately, this is because Jesus was directing the trial to the next stage. We'll see that next week, Lord willing, his sentence, sentenced in our place. Beloved, see the king on trial. He directs the timing of his death, the Passover. He directs the way of his death, the cross. And finally, he directs the goal of his death, his coronation, his crowning glorious king. He reverses death and the curse so that he may be our true king. How do you respond to him? That's the question. Do you see your need for him? Do you see your need for him to remove your sin? One who died for you in your place. Blessed be his name forever and ever. Amen.